I do like Embiid, but if I had to pick one or the other, I'm thinking Ben Simmons, 23 years old. That's just insane. What he's been able to accomplish at that age. And yeah, you know, there are the question questions about his shot. And, you know, to the point that the Sixers have even said, look, we don't care if you're missing them. Just please take some. And he still won't really do it. But when you throw in the fact that Embiid is three years older, if you're building a franchise around a guy, it's hard to pass up a 23-year-old all-star. That was Hoops Hype's Alex Kennedy talking about if the 76ers were to choose to part ways with one of their superstars, who he would pick to build around. In this episode, we bring on Alex to debate more about the 76ers, all things NBA, from the players' distrust at the optics of the league restarting to the championship predictions for the 2020 season. And we have a lot of fun conceptualizing what the NBA would look like if it would had a one-on-one tournament. As always, welcome to Outside the Zone. What is going on from NBA Buzz? This is Pav and Doc, and you're listening to Outside the Zone. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by Alex Kennedy. Alex is a writer for USA Today and most notably HoopsHype.com. Alex, how are you? Thanks for joining and welcome to the show. Hey, doing well. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good, man. Just really looking forward to this episode and recording with you. So thanks for joining. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So to kick it off, um, I wanted to get your view on all that's happening in the NBA right now. There being so much back and forth between players wanting to sit out, not being comfortable with the Orlando bubble, and even the optics of playing alongside the BLM, BLM movement and everything that's happening regarding race in our country right now. Yeah, things are interesting. You know, I, I talked to a number of players for recent articles that I did for Hoops Hype talking about their offseason training uh, or, or their training during this break and how they're trying to stay in shape. And it is kind of similar to an offseason where they're trying to work with their trainers, but some guys don't have access to a court. Some guys are just trying to work out in their apartment. So there were already some concerns that players had about coming back and playing right away. They were concerned about some injury risks. You know, the fact that uh, they'd be basically taking four months off then trying to just jump right back into play. And if there's playoff intensity and guys that are in great shape, you know, that's kind of a recipe for disaster. So some guys were concerned about that. And then you also had uh, the COVID risk, obviously uh, a lot of guys were uncomfortable with the thought of, uh, of playing during this time and possibly getting sick and then living in the bubble. I, I think that's a lot for an employer to ask of any employee uh, basically saying, Hey, we're going to have you live in a bubble for three months. You can't really come and go. You're going to work and then go back to your hotel room and have every meal at this hotel. I mean, I know we tend to think of NBA players as uh, not really look at them as people. Sometimes I think fans are kind of guilty of that sometimes, but these guys are people, they have families. So the thought of basically, uh, you know, living three months and just eating, sleeping, breathing basketball. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, mm-hmm, I, yeah. I get that we, we want basketball back cause we miss it. We miss sports and it'd be amazing. But some of these guys are thinking, man, a bubble for three months. That's kind of, that seems like a lot. So you already had all these concerns that were happening. And I think with the black lives matter movement, also really blowing up. And I think a lot of guys now feel like, Hey, one of the reasons why this is getting so much attention is because people can't just distract themselves with sports or movies or concerts or any of these things that typically can serve as those distractions. So I do think some players are thinking, Hey, people are being forced for the first time ever to really grapple with these things and have these conversations and pay attention to the news. So could it be a mistake to come back and play and give people that distraction? Should we force them to focus on this? And then you have other players like Ed Davis who and, and Garrett Temple who are saying, no, we should play and have this huge platform where we can make a difference and we can uh, 
protest and we can you know say what's on our mind and and have our voices be heard uh and then also use the money that we're making from playing to donate to some of these causes so it seems like there's two camps right now player some players that feel like they shouldn't play and that's the best thing they can do to support the cause and other players who feel like no this is going to be a huge platform uh, and i agree i i do think that if the nba comes back the ratings will be amazing there will be millions of people watching worldwide because there's nothing else for people to do. If they're missing sports, they're going to watch this. We kind of saw that with the last dance and other things that had just tons of attention during this period. So I think, I think there's two groups of thought right now. Just, you know, do you not play and allow the movement to keep, you know, being the main focus or do you come back and play and feel like you can support the movement with your money and with your, uh, you know, by using the platform. So that's kind of where things are at right now. It's kind of a perfect storm of events that make players question where they should come back. If it was just one of these issues, I think it would be pretty, you know, insignificant, but the fact that it's all these things at once makes guys wonder, okay, is this too, is there too many issues here? There are too many factors that we should not play because of all these reasons. Yeah. I mean, I think that just highlights how crazy 2020 has been with COVID obviously, and now George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement and everything going on. So, but just going back to, uh, just hitting on a couple of the points that you had. So first you mentioned COVID in the bubble. For me personally, I, none of us are obviously NBA players or anything like that, but I, I mean, I couldn't imagine sitting in one place and, or just being in one area for three months and, you know, not ha- being able to see my family or, and loved ones and things like that. For me, if players are saying, listen, you know, just being in a bubble for three months, that's not realistic for me. I cannot do it, you know, with my family commitments and all that. I, I completely get that. And even also just COVID concerns with if people, you know, I mean, people's safety is their own business. If they feel like, you know, I, I can go to Orlando and I, you know, and I don't feel like my safety will be uh, prioritized in the way I want it to be or my family's and that could be compromised and it's their business and they should have the right to not, you know, not play if they don't feel that they're going to be safe doing so. But going back to kind of the comments on Ed David with Ed Davis, Garrett Temple and others in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and the aftermath of uh, the George Floyd uh, murder. With that, like you mentioned, just the platform uh, players are going to have if they go back is going to be enormous. And possibly, I think, the, you know, the biggest we've seen so long because baseball, we have no idea what's going on in baseball. So I I feel like the NBA is not going to have to compete with that for at least a little while. And then sports that that are coming back like NHL and MLS are just, you know, a tier below the NBA in terms of popular popularity, especially in the U.S. So all eyes will be on the NBA. So if you know, the players can get together and play. And if they have some really powerful, um, you know, actions that they do, I remember in, uh, what, 2013 or 2014, when all the players were wearing, you know, the, I can't breathe t-shirts and doing that. I remember how powerful that was. And I mean, I can't even imagine how powerful something would be, you know, if players even would just kneel during the anthem or kneel for eight minutes and 46 seconds during a game. I don't know how realistic realistic that is, but I think the impact of that is tremendous. So I I, I fall in the camp that I, I hear what guys like Kyrie are saying, but I just think this opportunity is too great to pass up and just the impact that they can have through the awareness that they can generate through playing and the, you know, the financial donations that they can accumulate through all this too, I think is just 
too enormous to, you know, just shy away from. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get why some players feel like, look, just wearing the shirts or kneeling or things like that. It's not enough. We need to do more. And I feel like all the players, they want to help. They are coming from a good place. They want to help the movement. They don't want to be a distraction. And it just, you know, there's some disagreement over how they can help and, and what's the best way to help. So I do feel like I have to give props to these guys for, you know, we've seen it during this movement where so many NBA players have been protesting and using their platforms. We also saw so many NBA players step up whenever COVID-19 first started. We, we saw so many guys donating money and donating masks and donating mm-hmm. meals. Yeah. I mean, there were these guys have emerged as leaders in their communities. And I think uh, as frustrating as it would be for us not to have a season, you know, I, I think we have to give these guys some credit for using their platforms and affecting change because plenty of guys in the past haven't been willing to do that or, you know, frustrate certain people or certain parts of their fan base. So it, it is interesting to see that we're, we're seeing so many guys step up now and use their platform. But yeah, to go back to what you said, you know, I think I get why guys maybe feel like more needs to be done, but I also feel like if, and Ed Davis mentioned this when, when I interviewed him for hoops hype, that when you have 22 teams all in one location, you can do some really cool things, especially if you have the NBA behind you and all those resources and money that comes with that. So they're feeling like, look, we can all work on this together. We can find some really cool things to do. Ed Davis also talked about the money that could be donated. He made the great point of saying, you know, we could all take 1% of the basketball related income, the BRI, or basically a percentage of our salaries and donate that to the, to the movement and donate that to, you know, families that are struggling, uh, in these communities. So uh, he basically is looking at it from if we play, not only do we have that platform, we also can make a significant donation that would really help people. And then not only that, but he made a great point that, you know, he said, look in the black community, we need more wealth. We need more money to go around. And, and, you know, so he was saying basically by playing, uh, we're going to be able to continue having generational wealth. And if we don't play, we're going to lose $1.2 billion in player salaries. And he also brought the great point that if the players don't play and the season is ended and the owners are upset about it, they could rip up, rip up the collective bargaining agreement and basically say, okay, now we're in a lockout. So then next season is in jeopardy as well. So we're talking about right. billions and billions of dollars that could be lost in the salary. So Ed was saying, look, you know, not playing isn't the answer here. We're going to miss out on all of that money and missing out on the opportunity to create generational wealth for so many players around the league and miss out on the opportunity to donate a portion of that money to these causes. So in one thing that Ed said that was interesting when I interviewed him is that on that call they had on Friday night, there were about 80, 85 players on the call. There were 10 speakers and only five of them were supporting not playing. So it seemed like it was kind of a 50, 50 split. So while I think this is getting a lot of traction right now, it's being talked about a lot from what Ed said. And he talks to a lot of players around the NBA. He's, he was, he's a very well-respected guy and has played with a lot of different guys. He basically says that it's a small group that doesn't want to play. And now if they, if those guys want to sit out, so be it. You know, I think the NBA has already said, if those guys don't want to play, then they will be able to sit out. There won't be any consequences. Uh, except, you know, they won't be getting paid, but they won't have any kind of punishment. And then their teams can sign a replacement player to sub in for them. 
So that is an option. And, you know, there's, there's a scenario here where certain guys, and it may not just be for the black lives matter movement reason. If certain guys feel like, Hey, I have an underlying health issue and I'm kind of concerned about my health with all the COVID stuff going on, or I don't want to leave my family for three months, then certain guys can choose to sit out and the season will still happen. Um, so that is something to keep in mind too, just because certain guys don't want to play, we may see the season re- resume without them. And then their team would be able to sign a replacement player. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, I mean, it is pretty interesting to watch this debate kind of happen. You know, I'm kind of surprised that the NBA didn't have these conversations with players before this all started. You think some of these things would have been addressed ahead of time, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Right. I mean, that brings me to my point. I mean, first off, it's awesome that Ed Davis, someone who's a seasoned vet and made a, made a career for himself and made a good amount of money is able to stand up for those journeymen in the NBA. Those ones that aren't the Kyrie Irvings, the Dwight Howard's, as mentioned in your article. And I think that's just incredible that he's able to do that and use his platform. But speaking of that, like, especially with Kyrie being the vice president of the players association, why did, can you shed some light on how the deal got signed so quickly when the NBA made its proposal and why there's such a holdup now after the fact? Yeah. So apparently, you know, we, we heard some reports and Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN did a great article on this kind of talking about on that initial call with the board of player representatives, there didn't seem any, you know, there weren't any issues. Kyrie Irving didn't bring these questions up and there really wasn't much concern. So that, that board actually voted 28 to zero. It was unanimous to approve that, you know, the NBA's plan to resume the season in July with 22 teams in Orlando with the bubble and all that. There were some questions that were asked about the bubble but there wasn't this kind of concern. And then according to Woj, Kyrie started talking to other players and, you know, some of these guys didn't seem like they wanted to play and then started organizing these conference calls. And actually Ed mentioned that there have been a few of these calls. There was a zoom call, I think on the seventh. So these guys have been talking for a while and not all the guys that are on these calls don't want to play. Ed made that very clear. You know, he was on the call and he absolutely wants to play. He's very against sitting out, but he wanted to have the conversation and hear these guys out and see what they're thinking. So, yeah, I mean, these these, these converse, conversations have been happening for a while among players, but yeah, I was kind of surprised that, you know, the NBA didn't do a poll of a lot of players or anything like that. I, I guess they figured if we're talking to the board of player representatives, the 28 people there, that was enough. And I guess they assume that those guys had talked to their teammates and figured something out, but that has to be some, you know, somewhat frustrating for the NBA to put this proposal together, have the details go public and, and, you know, leak and be reported by uh, the Woges and Sham Sharanias of the world. And then now all of a sudden you have NBA players speaking out and getting frustrated and saying that they may not play. Now I I will also say this, Again, while there were some concerns in the beginning, like COVID, the injury risk, uh, living in the bubble, I do think that things maybe changed from uh, a movement perspective with the Black Lives Matter movement becoming so big. You know, whenever these conversations were, were starting, I'm not sure guys had that element in mind that this could potentially be a distraction. So it's possible the conversation changed as that started to get, you know, gain more attention, you know, as the protests really build it, you know, built up after the, you know, murder of George Floyd. So it's possible the conversation shifted a little bit, but yeah, I am surprised that, you know, these things are just coming out now. It's not a great look for the NBA because they didn't really, you know, talk to the guys about this and not a great look for the player association because, you know, this stuff is now happening through the media rather than having these conversations behind closed doors. There's been a lot of leaks and a lot of things out there. So yeah, it'll be interesting. But again, based on what Ed was saying, he said there's a 99.9% chance that 
uh, the season will happen in his mind. So he, and he seems pretty confident. So I think we'll see the season happen. It's just a matter of how many guys could choose to sit out and end up, you know, being replaced by a replacement player. That's kind of the question I have. That's awesome. I mean, the fact that he's very confident makes me very confident. And I'm assuming a lot of fans very confident, um, shifting gears a little bit, um, before that, I mean, the seeing how, seeing how the Twitter, everything's going on in social media and the back and forth kind of showing a little bit of dysfunction, at least the NBA can find solace in knowing that they're not doing it worse than the MLB right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's crazy, right? Right. It's very, very, uh, you never see one of the top pitch, top superstars in the league, just going at the commissioner and Trevor Bauer live on Twitter and the commissioner going back and forth through Mike Greenberg. It's, it's wild. <laughs> we are really lucky to have Adam Silver as our commissioner, man. He, he does a fantastic job. I think, uh, you know, he gets taken for granted sometimes. Uh, but when you look at some of the alternatives and, you know, how things could be going here, I think we're really lucky to have him. <laughs> We've seen that through the years, too, because he got I mean, when he, you know, became commissioner, he got thrown into the fire with the whole Donald Sterling stuff. And I mean, he got he's just he's he's cleared every every hurdle. He's just done a tremendous job. And I mean, we see how much criticism guys like Roger Goodell and Rob Manfred get for the jobs they do. But I mean, I think everyone pretty pretty much just agrees that Adam Silver's the best the best there is. So we are super lucky. Yeah, he just gets it. I mean, he works for the owners, but he also always has the players in mind. He has strong relationships with a bunch of guys in the NBA, a lot of players. So I think that's what it is. When you think about Roger Goodell, it seems like he just works for the owners and players are constantly frustrated with his decisions. With Silver, you know, he does a good job of, you know, balancing both sides and keeping everyone happy. So, yeah, I think he also is very, he's a very smart guy and has very good people around him. And while some of these guys are stuck in their ways and will only do things their way, He's also apparently really easy to work with and is constantly asking people for their input and listening to other ideas and just super open-minded about ways to change things and fix the NBA and make it even better. So yeah, the NBA is in great hands, right? Like you hit it right on the head right there. Like just being able to have a relationship with the players is so important. Um, and props to Adam Silver. All right. Now just shifting gears. One of the big debates that Doc and I always have on this podcast is about the Philadelphia 76ers. And we thought you were a great person to come in and discuss with us. I know you're very plugged in um, to the situation there. So obviously they have two of the top superstars in the NBA and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Now there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, back and forth on can they win a championship together? Do they fit together? Do they need to trade one away in order to get to the next level? I wanted to hear your take on that. Um, Doc and I definitely disagree on this, so we'd be happy to discuss with you. But I want I want to let you have the stage first. You guys are going to get uh, me attacked on Twitter, but here we go. I'll do it anyway. I love it. So I'm <laughs> I'm a Ben Simmons guy. I really am. So I, I think oh no he gets a lot of criticism. Oh no. <laughs> yes, I'm happy. <laughs> I will I will say though I I'm not. Uh, super anti Joel Embiid. I do like Embiid, but if I had to pick one or the other, I'm thinking Ben Simmons, 23 years old. That's just insane. What he's been able to accomplish at that age. And yeah, you know, there are the question questions about his shot and, you know, to the point that the Sixers even said, look, we don't care if you're missing them. Just please take some. And he still won't really do it. But when you throw in the fact that Embiid is three years older, if you're building a franchise around a guy, it's hard to pass up a 23 year old all-star. And I mean, you can put a bunch of shooters around him. I also, I'm still holding out some hope that he can develop a jump shot. If he can do that, 
it's game over for the rest of the league. But even if he doesn't, we've seen he can find so many ways to impact the game on both ends of the floor without being able to shoot the ball. And, and he is just uh, an interesting talent. And not only that, but Embiid's injuries, you know, his injury history has to be thrown in here. I, I think the fact that the Sixers were able to ensure his contract and include some of those provisions where if he were to have a serious injury, uh, they are able to waive him. And I think that is huge. You know, you don't really see that often in the NBA because if you're a superstar player, you, you know, you, you, the their agent and, and their camp don't usually clear something like that. But with Embiid, it was kind of a unique situation. Uh, so that's a really interesting contract. And I think really well done by the Sixers. Uh, so that does help. It makes them a little bit safer. But, you know, it would be it would be devastating if they were to trade away Ben Simmons and say, look, Embiid's our guy. We had to pick one or the other. And then Embiid has another injury. I know he's been healthier in recent years. But if you look back, he hasn't played a ton of games in any of these seasons. He's played you know, he's, he's been limited every year and it's, it's tough. So while I love Embiid and usually, I mean, usually I would say in today's NBA, it's hard to build around a big man. Anyway, his game is just so unique and he's so talented on both ends of the floor. He can now shoot the three as well. He's able to do everything. So I love Embiid. Don't get me wrong. And I think also, you know, if, if we're talking about personality, I love Embiid the person much more than I love Ben Simmons, the person I may get in trouble for saying that, but uh, Embiid right. is much easier to work with and interview and be around. Uh, so there is that. And I think he's hilarious. I'd love his personality, but if I had to pick one and we're just talking about them as a player, I'm going Ben Simmons because he's three years younger. doesn't have those same injury risk as much as Embiid does. And I think you can put shooters around him and hopefully continue to work with him to develop his game. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm curious to hear your guys. How do you guys go back and forth on this? And what what are your takes? Yeah, well, let me let me preface by saying two things. One, I disagree with a lot that you said, but I do agree with you that Joel <laughs> is a very cool guy, and I would probably rather hang out with him than Ben. Although Ben does seem cool, but so I I, I agree with you on that point. Uh, second, let me say this: Ben is an amazing player. All right, All Star, top twenty player in the league, top five point guard in the NBA, but. The question is, why isn't he higher, right? Like he has all the tools. He's what, six foot 10, crazy athletic, and he can do it all except for the most important backcourt skill in the game right now. And that is shooting. Like he cannot shoot. He won't shoot. He doesn't shoot. I mean, if you look at his shot chart, there's nothing outside of the paint. So my question is, can you have a guy who's your point guard and can that guy just not even be willing to take three point three pointers. It'd be one thing if he was taking them and missing, but, and and like you said, he, the Sixers want him to even sh- want him to shoot, but he's just unwilling to do it. So listen, he's been in the league, what, three years now, maybe four. And there hasn't been much improvement at all on that front. So I'm not very optimistic on if he can really get the shot going. And then the other thing too is, in, in the playoffs, I feel like the playoffs are just a different animal than the regular season. The game slows down and Simmons is someone who just, you know, he's honestly probably one of the top two or three players, I think, in transition on offense. So but with the playoffs, the game slowing down and everything, I feel like it's a little bit easier to game plan for. And I think there were a couple games right um, against maybe Brooklyn and maybe the Celtics the year before in the playoffs yeah. that they did have to bench him a little bit in the fourth quarter. and. Listen, Joel, Joel Embiid hasn't had 
he hasn't he hasn't been out there for every single playoff game just balling out. But I know that there are there are not games where the Sixers are like, all right, MB, Joel, we just can't play you. And I know that's happened with Ben. Ben's going to get better. But I mean, I think shooting is such a key attribute to the, in today's game more than it more than it has ever been. And you look at someone like Embiid. I mean, his three-point shooting has actually, you know, gotten worse for some reason. I mean, I I think it will get better. It should get better. I think adding Horford complicated matters for both Ben and Embiid, with just you know things being a lot more restricted. But for me, I think Embiid's just the guy. I I look at him, and I know a lot of people look at him and see a lot of Hakeem Olajuwon there, and we you know we you saw him succeed in the '90s, and he won a couple of championships. And I don't think I've seen anyone like Ben Simmons be the best player on his team the way that he plays, and you know the thing that he's missing. So that's why I, I favor Embiid in this, even though I see the legitimate arguments for, you know, injury concerns and all that. But that's where I fall. Yeah, honestly, it may, for me, it mainly comes down to age and the injury concerns. But you make great yeah. points. I mean, in today's NBA, it is devastating that you can't shoot the ball and won't shoot the ball. Part of me wonders when I look, I also am not in the camp that says they absolutely have to be split up. You know, there are some people that feel like, oh, these guys cannot work together at all. You know, I'm kind of curious if they put different pieces around them. I, I kind of look at the job they've done putting Tobias Harris. I know the Jimmy Butler thing was a failed experiment. Al Horford. I don't necessarily love the team they've built around these guys. So, and mm-hmm. also Brett Brown as a coach, that's a big question mark too. You know, if he had a different coach, could that coach, you know, get him to shoot the ball? Um, even if he's not great at it, could he at least get him to try to shoot some shots? It seemed like Brett Brown just kind of gave up. So there's certain questions too, about the guys that are around them. So I, I know I know a lot of people feel like, oh, they have to choose one or the other. You know, I was kind of saying if I had to choose, if I was being forced to choose, I would go Ben. And it mainly comes down to the age and the injury concerns. But no, I love Embiid. I also also say this, you know, take I, I, I've had Drew Hanlon on my podcast three times. Uh, I know him really well. You know, he, he's a good friend of mine. And he trains Dwell Embiid and a number of other players in the offseason. And Embiid has a ridiculous work ethic. The guy works so hard. And he picks things up so quickly. That was why his, you know, his emergence at Kansas was so incredible because the guy was so raw and really hadn't played basketball for very long. And then all of a sudden is doing things that no one thought he could do and just picking up things so quickly. So I do love Embiid's work ethic. There have also been some questions about Ben Simmons work ethic. Um, you know, and some people have questioned that and talked about how, uh, He loves the celebrity lifestyle and what comes with being an NBA player more so than working and actually being in the NBA. So that's something that was in the back of my mind too. And that that is something that definitely supports your argument. Um, You want a guy that has a great work ethic and wants to be a great player. Um, And, you know, there are some questions about Ben there and whether he works hard enough, whether he's put enough time into working on that shot. But I, I mean, again, he's 23 years old. So that's really hard for me to, choose the injury prone 26 year old over the 23 year old. But again, I'm not someone that feels like they have to be split up necessarily. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I remember uh, I was looking at some advanced stats a while back with when Embiid and Simmons were on the floor, I think a couple years ago when they had Sarge and Covington on that team. So obviously they had a lot more floor spacing then. And those they had a really good, you know, they had really good numbers when they were on the floor together with that lineup. Like their plus and minuses were, I think, one of the, you know, one of the top ratings uh, or top rated out of any lineup in the league. So it can be done. And I, and they're, they're both obviously better than they were what two or three years ago. So I, it's a good point that they maybe haven't surrounded them with 
the best possible players that fit both of their playing styles. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you. If they can somehow get more three and D guys around them or bring in guys like Redick who they had to let go, then I think this team can legitimately contend for championships with those two guys being the two headed monster on the team. The problem is they've committed so much money now to Tobias Harris yeah. and Al Horford. You know, they have, I think they have the most guaranteed money going forward of any team in the NBA. Just talking about, you know, if you add up all the different players that have long-term deals there. So I don't know how they can pivot now and change the way this team is built. You know, they kind of went all in on this group. Uh, but yeah, that's just something that I, I look at kind of the supporting cast and Brett Brown. And I wonder how that kind of plays a role in this as well. Yeah, Alex, I'm so happy that you are on my side and a pro pro Ben Simmons fan on this uh, on your page. I'm really excited because, I mean, in my opinion, I think they just need to do better at actually building around Ben Simmons. And seems that I mean, I do get that they have Joel Embiid and he is a talent that's un, unworldly. But um, in order to unlock Ben Simmons, you've got to with his limitations at shooting, you've got to put people around him that are going to complement his game, sh- running, running gun players, shooters. And they put him around Tobias Harris and Al Horford, who are great players, but complete opposites to what Ben Simmons game needs, in my opinion. No, I completely agree. I, I, I would love to see him with some other players. And if Embiid wasn't there, you know, we've seen guys like, uh, you know, there, there's a number of players that have entered the NBA and their teams have quickly surrounded them with talent and built around them because Embiid is there. We haven't really seen that happen. Whereas if it was just Simmons, I feel like you would see a ton of shooters around him and they would prioritize him. And when they're, when they're, you know, putting their team together, but because it's the two of them, they have to kind of balance things out a bit. So yeah, that, that's, you know, definitely, I think if you were starting a team from scratch, that's again, where I would look at someone like Simmons, because you could chain, you, you could just build around him and, and, you know, I think he's dominant defensively. I think, you know, he's almost averaging a triple double, which is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, not that that means a whole lot in today's NBA with what we've seen from Russell Westbrook and uh, the production <laughs> that he's, you know, uh, if it's a fit, done efficiently and done the right way, it can, it can mean a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you put the right pieces around him and the right coaches around him, uh, I think there's certain coaches that could still potentially unlock his shot. You know, I look at a guy like Chip England in San Antonio, he's gotten, He's helped so many guys with their shot guys like Tony Parker, Kawhi Leonard, people that when they entered the NBA, the thought was, Oh, they can't shoot. Kawhi obviously made huge improvements very quickly. We, you know, he started that during his pre-draft process at impact basketball with Joe Abunasar. I remember watching him during his pre-draft process and he was shooting the ball. Amazing. I, I was just like, okay, well, why is everyone criticizing this guy's shot? And then chip just kind of put him over the top and made him even better. So I don't know. I still am holding out hope for the shot. Uh, I think it's really hard. He, we've seen there's videos of him shooting the ball really well in practices. It's hard for that to translate into games because, you know, you have to actually take that shot and have that confidence. So I don't know. I, I'm holding out hope a little bit, but I will say this though. I, I when we did a recent, uh, we did a recent thing on hoop site where we uh, did a draft and went back and forth looking at the players. We want to build a team around and Ben Simmons went pretty low. So I'm not saying I'm higher on him and, you know, super high on him compared to other young talents in the NBA. I just think if I had to choose between him and Embiid, I would go Simmons. I mean, that's fair. I think um, there are great points for both sides as we've gone through. And I mean, that was a good debate. Honestly, I think we could probably just go on for like 20 or 30 minutes just on this topic if we really wanted to. I know some people on both there, so many people on both sides of the camp and that are really uh, just really passionate about their views. We have a segment on this uh, podcast called Better Baller. Oh. 
Each episode, we have a, a spotlighted player. And this week, that spotlighted player is Zion Williamson. So what I'll do is I'll read off four names one by one. And all you have to do is tell me whether you would whether you would rather have Zion or the other player um, on the on the team if your goal was to win a championship this year. So this is just rapid okay. fire gut feeling. So just hold off in your explanations oh, till the end. Oh, yeah. Okay, high okay. pressure. High Putting pressure you to the here. test. Yeah, yeah. Zion's hard because he's had the first, the best, you know, 19 game stretch of a rookie we've ever seen. It's pretty ridiculous. But yeah, let's do it. I like it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's go. So Zion or Jason Tatum? Jason Tatum. Pub? I would have to go Jason Tatum too. Yeah. Tatum here as well. Zion or Bam Adebayo? Bam. I'm going Zion there. I'm going Bam here. Zion or Pascal Siakam? Uh, Pascal Siakam. I'll agree with you, Pascal, there. Yeah, easy one, Pascal. And then Zion or Chris Middleton? Man, Zion. Pop? I'll go Zion, too, but that's a close one. Yeah, Zion for me. Yeah, all right. Any of them you want to talk about? Well... It's so, t- it's so tough because what we've seen from Zion is incredible. Again, in 19 games, the guy's averaging 23.6 points, 6.8 rebounds. I, I mean, he's been so efficient too. He's shooting 46.2% from three. So I, if I'm, if I'm talking about building you know a team for the future, it's obviously a different conversation, but talking mm-hmm. about winning a team, winning right now, winning a championship this year, that's where I tend to go with the guys that are in their prime or some of the guys that are, you know, have been in the league for a few years. We haven't really seen, you know, a big enough sample size from Zion yet for me to pick him over some of those guys. Chris Middleton, I actually may go Chris Middleton. I think about it, but I didn't want to go over four on Zion, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I think uh, he has such a bright future. I love his game. And he's so he's one of those unique guys where you almost have to build around him too, because his game is just so unique. You know, I remember when he was first coming out, there were a lot of coaches and executives that were wondering, okay, where are we going to play this guy? Uh, how are we going to use him? How are we going to build around him? So, but I think he has such a bright future. I mean, the kid's only 19. He's the fifth youngest player in the NBA, which makes his you know recent stretch even more incredible. So I love Zion. I really do. But the other guys I think are more ready to win now. I agree. I mean, Zion's going to be the like, if not the face of the league, like up there with, with the bulk of them, um, for a long, long time, as long as he stays healthy. Um, speaking of Chris Middleton, I mean, you switched your answer to Chris Middleton, which I find very interesting. I mean, the bucks are amazing. The bucks have been dominant and they really mesh well together defensively and offensively, but in the playoffs, do you think that, can you a hundred percent say that Chris Middleton is that co-star that is enough for Giannis to win a championship? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I I think uh, Chris is really talented. I like his game. He's not someone that I think of when you're talking about star players, but I was just thinking, you know, he's been in the playoffs before. So if I'm going to take, you know, a guy like Chris or a guy like Zion, he's in his prime, been in the playoffs before, been on that stage. So that is kind of what I was thinking. But yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. Giannis has asked to do so much for this Bucks team. And I do like what they've been able to put around him. I, I think adding Brooke Lopez was genius. Uh, 
what they've been able to get out of Middleton is amazing. If people look back at the beginning of Middleton's career, you know, he wasn't thought of as even a number two option on teams. He wasn't thought of as being this uh, potential all-star. So they've been able to unlock their players and get the most out of these guys and, and put some talent around Giannis. My question is, you know, one thing that I've heard from other executives when we talk about the Giannis sweepstakes and his free agency that's going to be coming up, uh, he he's fine living in Milwaukee. Some of these players want to go in big markets. They like the bright lights. They want to be in Los Angeles or New York or one of these places. Giannis doesn't mind being in Milwaukee. So executives have told me, if you want to recruit Giannis away, you need to give him another star. You need to say, look, while you're happy playing in Milwaukee, other stars won't come there and join you and give you a chance to win multiple championships. So if you want to play with other stars, you have to come to us. We will get you other stars. So I think that's how teams are going to approach free agency and trying to, you know, steal Giannis away from the bucks. Um, I, I, you know, this team has been so talented. The bucks are, I mean, this team is so good. 53 and 12 this year, they were phenomenal last year. The question is, you know, do they have enough to make a championship run, you know, make it to the NBA finals? I, I think they they're my favorite in the East right now. I think this, you know, I think they're the bucks are on a tier of their own in the Eastern conference. Mm-hmm. As much as I love Toronto and Boston and, and Miami and Indiana, I think those teams are all a notch or two below Milwaukee. So, you know, the question is, can they compete with the Lakers or the Clippers of the world? That's going to be very tough. So especially because both of those teams are perfect examples of what I was just talking about teams that have been able to add multiple stars because they're in that huge LA market. So we'll see what happens there. I don't think Chris Middleton can be the, your, your number two on a championship team in today's NBA with how we have so many super teams forming. The question is, can another team convince Giannis of that and steal him away? Mm-hmm. I guess, what do you think about the whole do you think this is just like a media narrative that's being pushed through? Because the way I look at it is someone like LeBron when he was initially in Cleveland, right? So he obviously leaves for Miami. But if you look at the, those Cleveland teams, there's a big difference between the talent that Cleveland put around him versus the talent that Giannis has in, on the Bucks, right? I think we can all agree on that. So they, they've surrounded him well. I mean, Middleton, he might not be you know, the typical second best player on a championship team, but he is an all-star. And then, like you said, Brooke Lopez, great signing for them. And then they, they just develop guys like Pat Connaughton gives them solid minutes. Dante uh, DiVincenzo, I'm really high on him. They have Eric Bledsoe, uh, Brogdon, they developed well, and obviously he went to the Pacers. But I feel like they've done a really good job at surrounding him with solid talent. And if market's not, you know, a big deal for Giannis in terms of swaying him on where he might go, do you think it's there's a legitimate shot that Giannis would actually be interested in leaving if he sees this Bucks team, you know, being talented around him and if he sees the GM and the owner being committed to, you know, surrounding him with good pieces? It's a good question. I think I understand why Milwaukee fans, and if you're in the Bucks organization, you're working there, you have to be so frustrated. You're thinking, what more can we do? We're the number one team in the Eastern Conference. We put the right pieces around him. The Mike Budenholzer hire was fantastic. I mean, such an upgrade. And he has done a terrific job of, you know, unlocking this team. The fact that in year one, they were able to do what they did and win that many games when you're adjusting to a new coach and new players, it was, it was really exceptional. So, I mean, I think the bucks and their fans, I totally get why they're frustrated and they're thinking Giannis has said throughout his career, he wants to finish his career here. He wants to stay here. So why is the media talking about this? And I do think early on, whenever, you know, 
two, three years ago when people started looking at Giannis and saying, oh, he's the next guy to watch. He's, you know, he's the next star that could be on the move. I do think that the media narrative in the beginning was kind of obnoxious and kind of premature. I think uh, it started very, very early again, which is another reason why people in Milwaukee and Bucks fans are like, just stop. You've been doing this for years and he's never said anything. Uh, But uh, part of the problem is in the NBA, we've seen so many star players leave their small market and go to these big markets. I can't tell, you know, I've covered the league for since 2004. Now I have based in Orlando. So I saw Dwight Howard say, I want to finish my career here. I love Orlando. I don't want to leave. And then we all know what happened. I've seen Chris (laughs) Paul say it. I've seen Carmelo Anthony say it. I've seen, you know, you go down the list, you hear this enough times, Darren Williams, I, I can just keep going. Like, you hear enough of these guys say, oh, I want to finish my career here. And then the year or two before they start hitting free agency, it shifts to, or Kevin Durant, I get another example. It shifts to, well, I'm just focused on now. I'm focused on the present. I want to win now. And they're dodging every question. And it's like, okay, you almost see the pattern now. So you can understand why the media looks at Giannis and thinks, okay, here's another one. You know, maybe we're wrong and maybe he's going to be the guy that, you know, uh, changes things and and goes away from that trend and wants to play his entire career in Milwaukee. There are certain players like that. Dirk Nowitzki was criminally underpaid in Dallas and could have left and could have went to these other teams, had a better shot at winning a championship. Probably, you know, he won the one, but the one championship, but he, he could have had a better shot at winning other championships. Um, but instead he stayed in Dallas and not only did that, but kept taking pay cut after pay cut. You know, some of these guys like the Kobe's and the Dirk's, they stay with one team for their entire career. So maybe Giannis is one of those players. Uh, I do think he's very appreciative of the Milwaukee organization. Anyone who doesn't know Giannis's background and his story needs to look it up right now. Cause it's fantastic. I mean, the guy was in Greece amazing. And, and they, yeah, him and his family were so poor and they were selling goods on the side of the road and really struggling. He comes to Milwaukee and he's a deer in headlights. Uh, that was a unintended pun. Um, and <laughs> he just, so he, he's a, he was basically just this big kid and had no idea, you know, wide eye, no idea what the NBA was like. And, you know, there's so many great stories about him just kind of learning what the U S culture was like and, you know, developing. And now he's this killer and this machine. I mean, it's incredible to see what he's been able to become, but I think he's appreciative because the bucks were the reason that his family was able to turn things around and they discovered him, you know, they drafted him uh, in the middle of the first round when other teams had their doubts about his potential. So yeah, and some of those people have moved on. People like John Hammond, who you know drafted him in Milwaukee. Some of those people have moved on, but I think he's still very appreciative of this organization, this fan base that adopted him as a kid, basically, and he grew up there. You know, there's something to be said for that. But again, we've just seen so many times now where these guys have said the right things and then turn around and leave at the first chance they get, either because they want to go to their market, because they want to team up with other superstars, especially in today's NBA, where you know, player movement is so common and these guys want to play together. It, it's interesting to watch what's going to happen. You know, maybe he's the guy that bucks a trend, but it's possible. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's, you know, the next in a long line of guys that have moved on from a small market team to go play with others. Right. Incredible story. Um, regardless of all that, I will be shocked if Giannis stays with the bucks for his entire career. Um, that'll just be, very surprising. And honestly, if he does props to Milwaukee. Um, so before we let you go, we have to get your, get your take. I know you have the bucks as your favorite out of the East, but who do you have 
as your prediction to win the championship this year if we do get basketball on the table as we should. Yeah, I hope we do. Uh, my pick to win it all is the Lakers. I'm really torn because I, I really hope we get Lakers Clippers in the Western Conference Finals because that would be just an incredible series. And I've really went back and forth and had a hard time deciding, okay, who's my favorite in the Western Conference all year? I love this Clippers team. I, you know, I'm a big Kawhi Leonard guy and, and I think Paul George is phenomenal as well. You know, their defense, when they when they're playing at their best, their defense could just be insane. So while I Mm -hmm. like both of these teams, I have to go with the Lakers. And I feel like with everything that's going on right now in the world, a guy like LeBron James, who, you know, puts so much time and money into taking care of his body. You know, there was a, there was a Maverick Carter. I think it was one or two years ago came out and said that LeBron spends $1.5 million per year, just maintaining his body. And I've talked to so many guys that have played with LeBron and they say that, you know, he prioritizes his body and his health over everything, you know? So if he has something to do and has a commitment, he'll cancel it. If he has to go get treatment or has to go, you know, do cryotherapy or whatever it is, you know, he has a cryotherapy thing in his house actually. So if there's anyone that's going to be able to come back after a break like this and benefit from, you know, four months off, I think it's a guy like LeBron who has the right trainers and the right experts around him and puts that money into making sure he's going to be okay. So, you know, I, I'm not of the belief that every guy is going to come back and be phenomenal. I think there's some people, I know ESPN, they did something recently where they were saying this could be the best postseason ever because all these guys are going to be fresh and rested. I'm not of that belief. I think there's going to be a lot of injuries to be honest with you. When you take four months off and guys have been working out at home, it's so hard to mimic those game movements and those in the game intensity uh, and five on five. A lot of these guys have been at home. Some of them have a court where they can just shoot on their own. No one's playing pickup. It's not like in a lockout or an off season where guys are at their training site with their trainer and their physical therapist and this and that, you know, guys have been alone for the most part. There was one team, the Eastern conference team. I'm not going to say who it is, but their strength and conditioning coach told me that none of their players, not a single guy had access to a court or a rim. They had, they had nothing. So they were trying to find their guys. Yeah. They were trying to find uh, football fields and tracks near guys' homes so that they could go work out and get some kind of workout in outside of their, their home or their apartment, but to have no guys that have access to a court. I mean, that's crazy. So I think what you're going to see is the guys that were able to lock in, continue to work and, and have their own court either in their home or, you know, some of these guys had like an outdoor court that was near their home and they were able to work out there. The guys who had access to a court and a rim are going to be at such an advantage. And I know the NBA is trying to even the playing field a bit by having training camp and a few exhibition games. And hopefully that does reduce the injury risk here. The guys that have the money and have the facilities to lock in and work out on their own, they're going to be at such an advantage. I think the Lakers have a number of guys like that and LeBron, I think is going to come out playing phenomenal basketball. We know he wants to play. There was also a report saying that all the Laker players, they don't feel like there's any kind of concern that they're all going to play. There was questions about Dwight Howard. I know that was a big one. And, but that was, this report came out after that. And they, so the, the Lakers are confident they'll have all of their guys. That could be a big thing too, where, you know, who knows if any Clippers players sit out uh, or anything like that. So as of right now, I'm going Lakers. I think LeBron James is going to have a dominant postseason. Anthony Davis is another one of those guys that has access to a court, I believe from what I've heard. So I think he's going to be in tip top shape. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you're going to see some guys that look really bad and really rusty and hopefully they're not getting injured, but that's a very 
likely possibility too. Man, that's so wild. Um, that this so many people don't have access to a court, especially when so many of these guys have been on a basketball court almost every day of their lives since they were been they were twelve years old. Um, and about the Lakers, I mean, there's just gonna be so many storylines that are like just great positive news for the NBA if the Lakers do win it with the city of Los Angeles, LeBron James legacy, doing it for Kobe Bryant and then using his platform yeah. for most importantly, um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, super exciting to see. So just to close it out, we always do the this outside the zone question of the day for our podcast. So today's question is, if the NBA were to have a one-on-one tournament this year instead of the season, who would be the champion of that tournament? That's so funny. I was just talking about this last night with some wow. different NBA uh, writers, friends of mine. And we were saying, wow. I would love for the NBA to do something like that. You know, we saw in 1995, Shaq and Hakeem Olajuwon were supposed to play one-on-one and it was going to be nationally televised. It was going to be on pay-per-view. And then, it, and apparently that's allowed. I didn't know if that would be allowed or not. The CBA is kind of weird with some stuff like that. We've seen things in recent years, like the basketball tournament or the big three pop up. And you can't compete in those things. If you're in the NBA, if you have an NBA contract, you can't do it. But apparently one-on-one gets around the rules somehow because Shaq and Akeem Olajuwon had contracts drawn up and they were going to do it. There was also going to be other one-on-one matchups underneath of it uh, as like undercard matchups. So I would love to see something like that done today. It didn't happen. By the way, Shaq and Hakeem, it fell through because Hakeem started having back spasms and a back injury. So that's the only reason it didn't happen. So that tells me, I think it could happen if, uh, if the, if guys got together and did it, you know, I'm not sure if you have a monetary prize, I don't know how that would work because that may, if guys are getting paid to do it, I'm not sure how that would impact things in terms of, you know, with the CBA and all that. But yeah, it's so funny because we were just talking about how it could happen actually, if it, if the right, if they got it cleared and, and made sure it was okay with the NBA, I think it would be okay. But to answer your question, if Kevin Durant was healthy and we didn't have the Achilles injury, he would absolutely be my pick, but he's not. So I think I have to go Kawhi Leonard. I think, uh, I mean, LeBron is obviously in my one. mind, but Kawhi would be able to lock guys down defensively. We know we can do it one-on-one. A guy like Giannis is tempting because in one-on-one, you know, he can just back everyone down and dunk over everyone. Um, so I, I think if Kevin Durant were healthy, I'd go him. But I'm probably going Kawhi here just because I think Giannis would have trouble because, you know, he can't really shoot the ball. So, as you know, I think he's shown he can still score the ball and dominate you by backing you down and just dunking from way, you know, super far away from the rim somehow. Um, but, yeah, I'm probably going Kawhi just because he has the all around skill set. He can shoot threes. He can kind of do it all. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, actually, I didn't even know that one-on-one was allowed, that it was, you know, the CBA didn't restrict it. But I mean, once you said that, I, I was just thinking, and, you know, you just you just talk to Ed Davis, maybe you can call him back up, coordinate this all out with him and get a tournament going for one-on-ones. <laughs> but that would be amazing. Oh, it would be so much fun. I, I mean, that would have been so much fun instead of, you know, watching horse and watching players play 2K and all that. I mean, obviously, they're just COVID concerns around playing one on one, too. But regardless, right at Hoopside, we actually did a, an article recently. We talked about the Hakeem Shaq matchup and we we listed some of the favorite one on one matchups we want to see. So I'll, I'll mention a few of them just because it could be interesting here. We, mm-hmm. we said yeah. uh, some of the one on one matchups that would be awesome would be Damian Lillard versus Russell Westbrook just because of their past yes. and they've oh, yeah. ahead so much. 
that could be fun. Um, Steph Curry versus Trey Young, old school, new school uh, matchup. Oh, nice. James Harden versus Luka Doncic, um, just because their games are kind of similar, and uh, that could be just a really fun from a scoring perspective. Um, Boban versus uh, Taco Fall. <laughs> Just Ooh. two huge guys, two oh giants. Gosh. It's like uh it's like in Game of Thrones when the Giants face yeah. off. That's kind of what we're thinking here. Uh Giannis versus Kevin Durant if KD was healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh and then LeBron James versus Kawhi Leonard. So those were our dream matchups that we recently talked about in a Hoops Life article. No, there, there are so many good ones there. I mean, just off the top of my head, like Dame and Russ, just, I mean, the way that they go go at each other and the way they're play, you know, the way they're playing style is so different. That would be entertaining, like crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, man, that's, I'm just, man, I'm just dreaming about all these matchups now. Like, could you imagine if this happened in real life? It would be so much fun. Yeah, we but, need to find a sponsor. All these guys can just, yeah. uh, you know, it could go to charity. Yeah, it would definitely happen then. It, guys would definitely do it if it benefited a charity, especially with everything going on right now. I, I think uh, you could either have it, you know, benefit benefit COVID relief, Black Lives Matter, and then the NBA would almost have to be on board. I, I think it would be fine if the guys weren't making money off of it. I don't know if you could get guys to sign up though. It almost becomes a dunk contest type thing where certain guys mm-hmm. are like, okay, well, it doesn't benefit me and I might embarrass myself and I'm just going to, you know, it, it really depends. I think hopefully we see something like that happen in the future. Um, but yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Right. I mean, we saw how hard these players played in the all-star game when it was for charity. Like I would a hundred percent think that they would bring the same energy, especially when they're, when right. their personal brands on the line. I love it. That'd be amazing. Who would you guys pick to win it all? Yeah, so I was actually thinking Giannis, but for some reason, my I didn't even think about Kawhi. And, but I think just with Kawhi, the difference is the shooting there. I mean, Giannis has got a lot better shooting it, but I think have Kawhi having just such a good jump shot, I think uh, I would I would go Kawhi there. I would have to go Kevin Durant if he was healthy. I think just the two way, just shoot from wherever he is, just jump over you and can shoot it. Like that's that's what you want in one on one. Um, but yeah, yeah I'd have to, I, talked I to think pl- Kawhi is an amazing I talked pick. to players. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to players about guarding Kevin Durant and they just, it, it's so frustrating. <laughs> I mean, there's only, you can't really do anything. Uh, so yeah, KD if healthy would be phenomenal in that. I'd also love to see a guy like Kyrie Irving, a guy that's just so good at oh, yeah. isolation scoring and a one-on-one player. He'd be phenomenal too. But yeah, I think uh, Giannis may win. He may be able to just back everyone down dunk on everyone. And he's an amazing mm-hmm. defender too, but if we're talking about someone that's, you know, able to kind of do it all, that's kind of why I went Kawhi. Um, but man, mm-hmm. hopefully we see something like that. If you can like, arrange it where it becomes a tournament and winner moves on or something, that would be so much fun. Oh, it would be so much fun. Yeah. I mean, Katie's an unstoppable one-on-one and just even just in general, I mean, just ask Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams about it. And <laughs> yeah. Well, Alex, um, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, Doc and I like are big fans of your work. Every time you post an article, post something, you really show that you go above and beyond to really bring good quality content. And that's what we love to see. And that's definitely something that's inspiring for us and just for the world to be able to use your content to create discussion because that's what the game's all about. So thank you so much for your time. It was awesome debating with you. Um, I'll try not to put too much of the Ben Simmons love in the in the tweets so you don't get too much hate on Twitter. <laughs> 
Well, thank you guys for having me. It was awesome. You guys do an awesome job. You guys both know the game and this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Fans, I hope you enjoyed that episode. That was probably the most fun we've both had recording one. So we hope you had as much fun as we did listening. Make sure to follow Alex at Alex Kennedy NBA on Twitter for the best content, great articles and great interviews. And as always, this has been Outside the Zone.